Your insurance needs are as unique as the work you do and the industry you're in. Having the right protection in place is just the start. There's so much you can do to mitigate risks to your business for today and as you grow. At Sovereign Insurance, we're here to help with valuable information, insights, tips, and tools to help you protect your operations. Visit SovereignInsurance.ca to learn more. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. I'm your host, Rick Spence, business journalist, editor, public speaker, and entrepreneur. After 15 years as the national entrepreneurship columnist at the National Post, and as the former editor and publisher of Profit, the magazine for Canadian entrepreneurs, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, scalable, and successful. On this show, we connect you with Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. You'll meet the people driving the entrepreneurial movement, and we'll share their first-person adventures and their tips, hacks, and best advice for running startup and growth companies. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 3.5 million entrepreneurs. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. To entrepreneurs everywhere, this is your show. Ladies and gentlemen, entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. During the month of March in celebration of International Women's Day, Startup Canada, startup communities, leading women entrepreneurs, government and industry partners are coming together to celebrate the contributions and achievements of women entrepreneurs to the Canadian economy. This month in the Startup Canada podcast, join us as we chat with women founders and support organizations who are choosing to challenge the status quo to build a more gender-balanced world to accelerate gender parity and unleash the economic potential of women. On the show today from Vancouver, we're thrilled to have social entrepreneur Debbie Motalewa. In the past nine years, Debbie has helped entrepreneurs across three continents, North America, Africa, and Europe, to create shared value while focusing simultaneously on the community, the planet, and on business profit. At 25, Debbie was the youngest PhD graduate of Covenant University in Nigeria, which is Africa's most prestigious university. In the startup world, Deborah is, in this, is the sustainable business leader of two social enterprises, the Volunteer NG and AfroHub Community. Both organizations focus on creating sustainable communities in line with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. Volunteer NG has partnered with over 70 volunteers, mentored more than 800 young adults, and is sponsoring 30 students through elementary and high school. Debbie's also the author of Smart Goals, Making Habits Work for You, and she's currently working on her second book on sustainable business management. Debbie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Rick. Thank you so much for having me here. Delighted to have you here. The very first question I generally ask on this podcast is to set the stage for what's coming and convince our, you know, always time-sensitive entrepreneurial listeners that uh, they're going to get some gifts for uh, sitting through this podcast. So tell me, what are the top learnings that you'd like entrepreneurs to take away from the conversation we're about to have? Hmm. The first learning is one that I actually feel I am still learning even up to today. And it is just knowing that every entrepreneur's journey is absolutely different. So there's no rule of thumb. There's no one way fits all that everyone should go through. 
So you don't have to quit your job because 10 people quit their jobs before they had a successful business. You don't have to have a lot of partners because someone had a lot of partners to make their business successful. Always know that your journey is going to be successful. So do what works for you and keep changing. It's something that you have to keep changing as time goes on because the environment changes. So you as well, you have to be adaptable. So that's the first one. The second one is to always create a strong support system. The world of entrepreneurship is quite rocky. Sometimes it's absolutely amazing. You know, you wake up in the morning, you're all smiles, while some <laughs> other times you're, you're pretty much worried. Oh my God, I don't know what is happening right now. So you always would need a strong support system. Your support system are people you can always reach out to, that you can get advice from, people that always would have your back regardless what, and most importantly, people you can brainstorm with. Because for you to create a product or a service that everyone might or people would want to buy, it must come from a place of thorough knowledge, thorough conversations, and thorough research. And if you don't have support systems that can help you go through that rigorous process, um, sometimes you know, you're just going to feel lost. And then the final one is the most important one. I think make sure that any product, any service, anything you're trying to offer is something that creates value. Now, no one is going to part away with their hard-earned money if they don't feel like they're getting value from your product. And when I'm saying value, it's either to the consumers, to the community, to the society, to the government, to people, to anyone generally. When there's a value attached to your product, to your service, you realize that it's going to be so easy for you to actually sell it to anyone. Wow. It sounds like you practiced that, but I don't think you did. But uh, <laughs> the, 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 those, those are real winners. I certainly uh, subscribe to the, the Create New Value camp. And there's way too many entrepreneurs who think that, oh, I've got a good idea and the value will sort of look after itself coming out of their yeah. idea. And yeah, that I've, I've never seen that work yet. Never works. It never works. If there's no value, no one will pay you. <laughs> Simple. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us about your journey as, as, as I guess I'm interested in your journey as, as a human being first coming out of uh, Africa and coming to Canada. And then we'll talk about your entrepreneurial journey after that. Tell me about you. Okay. So my journey as a human being, my father met my mother, um, you know, they got <laughs> married and all the things that family do. And then, Hey, they gave birth to a daughter. Um, I guess that's how I came to the world. Um, I was born in Nigeria. Nigeria is in Africa. Um, I was here all the way to high school, and then I moved to Dublin, Ireland for my first degree. And then from Dublin, I moved to Scotland for my second degree. Uh, I stayed in Scotland for a bit, then moved back to Nigeria for a while, and then from Nigeria, I moved to Canada. And so far, Canada seems to be home away from home, so fingers crossed that I'll be here for a longer period than I was in Europe. Um, for my journey as an entrepreneur, I would consider myself, well, now I'm no longer such a, I'm no longer really that, but when I was growing up, um, I would have considered myself what we call a multi-potentialist. Um, this is pretty much a person that has many interests and passion. And so I remember all the way in elementary school, I'm not even sure what I watched. I probably watched too much TV and I decided that I wanted to start a business. And so the business I decided to start was a lip gloss making business. And what I did was I would collect regular lip gloss, um, which is clear, and I would get glitters and put the glitters into the lip gloss and say, I have made a new brand of lip gloss that glitters. 
Sorry, and what did so, you um, put in the lip gloss? Bleachers. Bleachers. So, you know, the sparkly thing? Ah. Yeah, so I'll put them into the lip gloss and call it lip gloss that glitters. And um, I would actually get my parents to, I, I'm sure they just bought all of that and, and made me feel like I was actually <laughs> doing something that people were buying for. Uh, when I got into high school, I started doing making jewelry. So I would make beads, um, neck pieces, earrings, um, bracelets, and all of that. And um, again, I had very supportive parents. So my parents would take this to work. And my dad used to be the manager in a bank. And so when he goes to work, everyone is like, oh, what has daddy made this time around? And kind of like their way of supporting me, they would all buy it. So I was already making money. I would go around my whole neighborhood, knock on doors. Hi, guys. I mean, Nigeria, we're pretty community focused. So um, you can literally go to your neighbor's house and have fun and chill and relax. So everyone would, oh, Debbie's coming again. Debbie has, has something she wants to sell to us. And, you know, they'll buy it from me. And I'll go back home with my money saying I'm very rich. Um, so that was pretty much me growing up. Um, I remember my dad, I think, again, like I said earlier, my parents have been very supportive in my entrepreneurial journey, especially my dad. And when I was in, um, I think this was in elementary school, yes. My dad brought this book home. It's called Rillionaire. It's by Farah Gray. And it pretty much just follows the life of a, I think he was 14 years old at the time, a 14-year-old boy that made his first million in the U.S. So that pretty much is the book that I always remember when I think about, okay, what else can I do to do more? How can I, at first it was more, how can I make money? And then as time went on, it went into how can I follow my passion? How can I do what makes me happy? How can I make sure that I am bringing some level of value into people's lives? And so by the time I got into university, every now and then I loved, I liked, um, you know, education. I liked having children around. So I started a daycare service. And so I would babysit for a lot of my friends, church members, people that knew people that knew me. Um, by the time I got into my second degree, I started a fashion designer house. And we had about three runways of three runway shows when we were in Aberdeen. Um, then moving on from there, I think I now more come more focused into um, the non-for-profit scene. And so that was when I came back to Nigeria. So it was more non-for-profit. And moving on from there, I have been more into some mix between non-for-profit and profit, which is more of a social enterprise. And that is how AfroHub started as well. So that's my entrepreneurial journey. It's quite long. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. I love the the the. the glittery lip gloss story and I love dad selling the jewelry to his captive audience <laughs> those, those, those are that was the best time I didn't stories. have to work for consumers no they just came to me because well my parents brought them to me and uh and and daycare I don't know if there's a tougher industry <laughs> to get started in than daycare um it it was for sure. It was. Um, so I didn't get very official in, you know, having a proper daycare. It was more of a babysitting service that I offered. Um, it was, it was a bit more tricky because I had to get my customers myself. Children are not exactly the easiest to deal with sometimes. Sometimes they are lovely. They are the most amazing beings ever. But other times it's, and then I remember, I actually like you. So I would be nice to you. So um, yeah, that wasn't as easy as growing up, but it was worth it. Right. Well, I think you're onto something, uh, hopefully a little bit uh, w with greater expansion potential in terms of Af AfroHub market. So tell me a little bit about, about this platform and, and what it's supposed to do. 
Okay. So for Afrohop market, um, Afrohop market started from a need. Like I would always say, what is the value? What is the envi- what environment are you in? And what needs the people, what needs the people have? And so for Afrohop, we started pretty much in the middle of the pandemic, um, which was 2020, when everyone was stuck at home, businesses were closed down, um, people wanted grocery but couldn't get their groceries. Um, for other stores, it was not so bad because you know, if I want to get something from, let's say, Walmart, um, even though there's a long queue, there's still a way for me to get it. If I want to get something from any other store that is bigger, it's possible for me to get it. But then for Africans, it's a little bit different. Um, a lot of Africans would buy most of their products from what we call an African store. So an African store is like a Walmart, but it's mostly with products that are from Africa. So um, we eat the same food everyone does, but there are certain things that are very specific to us that we would not get in a regular store. Even though now some of our food products are actually in Walmart and Superstore, but yeah. that's right. It's still not as much as you would want to. Anyway, so um, the African stores also have to close down. The difference is the African stores are pretty much small. So even if we need people to come in, it's one person in maybe an hour, two person, two people in an hour, and it was not exactly effective for us. So that was where the first need came from. At that point, I didn't know that there was a problem that I wanted to solve. I had an idea, but for me, it went beyond the individual's need to shop and to get access to their products. It also went to the needs of the businesses themselves. Um, the businesses are what powers the economy. And for the African, the black community, we have been at a disadvantaged position for a very long time. And while every time there's always, oh, we're going to fight for our rights, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Maybe based on my academia background, I know that the only thing that can actually bring out an economy or bring out a certain group of people within an economy is through the businesses within that particular society. And so for us, that's the African business. So focusing on the African business is our way of actually growing the black community. If the businesses can um, grow, if the businesses can be sustainable, if they can access more consumers, especially during the pandemic when they don't have an online presence, if they have the systems that can help them grow in the long period of time, then that money comes back into our community, which helps our community to grow and gives us a fighting edge or a fighting advantage or a competitive advantage in the world generally. So what Afrohub really is, is that online marketplace. So just to sum it up, it's an online marketplace. Think about Amazon, but think about Amazon for Black-owned businesses. So anyone can actually go up there, buy the products that they want. Um, it gets delivered to them in their homes, and then they can easily shop through different products that are not limited by a certain store, are not limited by you know certain variants. They have, to, they have opportunity to see different ones that are available, see the different prices and get all of this product back to their home. So this is in the long run, growing the businesses and growing the community. Right. So is, is AfroHub, is it purely an, an, an online department store or are you also doing the, um, um, the, the delivery as well? So we do, right now we do the delivery as well. So we're full range from the online part all the way to the delivery. We also offer business support services to the African stores and black owned businesses. Um, in the long run, we're going to be a little bit more narrow in the sense that we don't want to do logistics for long. We don't want to do delivery for long. Um, but in the short term, it is what is working for us. We're working with other, um, other organizations, logistics organizations, that can help with the delivery in the long run. But right now, yes, we do the delivery. Right. And you're in Vancouver, 
and I guess AfroHub serves Vancouver and Victoria currently? Yes, it does. Well, Vancouver, Victoria, we're expanding to Edmonton, Calgary by the end of this year. All right. So that's more like it. That's starting to, that, that, that's starting to get to be a pretty substantial size. Yes, yes. Um, we're looking at the West for now, and then in the long run, we're coming all the way to the East. <laughs> <laughs> and people in Toronto, you know, they don't think of themselves as being in the East, but I used to live in Calgary and in Edmonton, so I know that, uh, that, that, that Toronto is, is very East. But hopefully you'll do Montreal, hopefully you'll get all the way to Nova Scotia and do the whole Absolutely. thing. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. That's the goal. With the AfroHub market, uh, you're, you're obviously uh, aggregating a number of retailers, but you're actually doing something more than that. Uh, you, you're collecting a lot of interesting data. And how are you, what are you going to do with that? And how do you think you can improve the business prospects of black businesses through your portal? Um, okay, so with the data, the goal is to optimize the businesses and the services and products that they offer. So right now, most of the businesses actually import their products from outside of Canada. And because they are doing a lot of things manually, they really have no strong information to show, okay, this product moves every month, or this product goes by 10% every week. Or maybe we should change around our pricing, play around with our pricing based on the fact that people want this at a certain time or want this at a different time. So what we're doing is providing data to help them make business decisions. So for example, um, when their product is on our platform, we can tell them easily that, hey, over the past one month, 10,000 viewers have viewed this particular product. But for whatever reason, they are not actually able to buy the product. It doesn't go all the way to the cart and neither does it go all the way to sales. So by reaching out to some of the customers, which is what we always do, we try to validate and be sure that our customers are getting the best value from our site. Where it's not to the customers, because we can see the data, we can now have that conversation to say, okay, why exactly isn't this product getting all the way to the end? And so we find out things like, oh, it seems so expensive, or maybe this is not the exact brand I need, or um, I'm not sure actually, maybe because of where it, where it is on the website. And so with this information, we can go back to the African stores or the businesses on our platform and let them know that, hey, maybe this product is too pricey, or this product goes very fast, Rather than keeping consumers waiting till the next time your shipment comes in, if we know it goes every two weeks, maybe you can order ahead, one week ahead, just to ensure that you always have this product when the consumers want it. So that's one way in terms of retail. Um, also, in terms of, you know, their support, the solutions that they need for their businesses, um, things like, okay, we need to be more automized, things like we need to open up a new store because we also help them with, you know, all of these services as well. So with the data that we already have based on our platform, it's easier for us to prefer some sort of solutions to them. And so that is where we're coming from. You know, it's not just the manual way of doing business anymore. It's now the world is moving with technology. So why do we need to still be using, you know, paper and pen and calculators to get the work done when we can just use all of the systems to get you all the solutions? Right. So it sounds like you're creating a community, but you're also really supporting the community and helping to grow the community. That's our goal. So our goal is community. That's our focus. Our focus and vision is on the community. We want to grow the community. And the only way we can grow this community is by helping the businesses that are in the community. 
to value. We're bringing value to the community and bringing value to the businesses and also value to the consumers because now people can buy products from their homes that are coming all the way to the African store. Uh, that uh, sounds sounds terrific. What has the take up of your offer? Has it been what you expected? I mean, you know, a lot of people get into business by themselves, and sometimes they get a little bit insular and think, you know, I don't need anybody else. I've been doing it this way for six years. Why should I change now? Uh, what what kind of response have you had in the marketplace from these entrepreneurs? Oh, we've got in that as well. We've got in there. Oh, I don't know. You know, um, I'm not sure I really want this right now. Or I don't understand computers. Please don't, don't bring computers to scatter my head. I'm intentionally using the African accent right here or the Nigerian accent specifically. Um, I, I don't want you to come and scatter my head with this data. Um, and so we have had to do some level of convincing. Now, the truth is we have two types of markets on our platform. We have the typical African stores, um, which is run by mostly um, the older generation, so people in their six, from their 40s, 50s to their 60s, give and take. They aren't exactly the best when it comes to computers, so they've been the ones that have been a little bit more um, withdrawing from the idea of being on our platform. However, we also have smaller businesses that are owned by very young people, so people in their 20s, in their early 30s, and they are super excited about the fact that they don't have to go and create their own website. They can just have all their products on one website and have access to more consumers. For this second group of consumers, the smaller businesses, we've had a lot of businesses actually reaching out to us. So on average in a month, we get at least 10 emails or messages saying, hey, we'd like to get our products on your website. And now the problem is for us to actually have enough resources to get their products on our website. But they are so interested in being on the website. However, the other businesses have been a little bit more, um, they haven't been as responsive. That's the bigger African stores. Um, so what we've done so far, which has worked is, the minute we got one, two stores that were very eager to be on our platform, we kept them off. And so with all this knowledge that we're bringing in, all this information, the fact that these businesses are now running at super speed compared to their competitors, the news goes around. And so these other businesses that had said no at the beginning are now the ones saying, okay, so what were you saying before? I want to hear what you're saying because now they can see the impact of our operations on the businesses that are on our platform. So it's been kind of like a roller coaster. I started with, ah, I'm not sure now. Okay, let's talk. And then now, okay, talk to me more. I want to know more. I want to be on your platform. That's fantastic. Can you share a success story from one of your retailers, someone that has really discovered uh, their, their, their market by teaming up with AfroHub? Absolutely. So one of our biggest, um, the biggest business on our platform, which is kind of where most of our sales actually come from, is one of the bigger African stores that, are, that is in Vancouver. Um, the major issue they had had was more from an angle of they are a, all the way in Surrey, and there are loads of consumers that I, I'm not sure how familiar your the user the listeners are with the Vancouver access, but Surrey is pretty much a city that is a little bit far from Vancouver, the main part of Vancouver. Is it in the south there? I can't remember. <laughs> I think it's towards the south, actually, yeah. yes. Um, don't quote me on this, please. But <laughs> <laughs> I think it's somewhere in the south, yes. Um, so that is where the store is. However, other users or other cities in Vancouver do not actually have an African store. So there's one somewhere in Burnaby, um, but there's none in Vancouver itself that is big enough to have all the products people want. 
So consumers have struggled with having to either drive all the way from where they stay to Surrey, that's like a two hours journey to get certain products. So what they would have to do is to buy in large quantity whenever they go and if they run out of something, they're kind of stuck. So what our service has done is made these consumers to actually be able to buy all those things online. And so there's that increase in revenue that is coming into the store. Now, also in terms of the data, when we have this information, we can reach out to the business, um, the owner herself, and just let her know that, hey, people are asking for a lot of this. And so whenever she needs to order, she's always changing around her orders to fit into the products that we see consumers seem to be buying off our platform. And in the few months that we've been working with her so far, um, she's opened up a new store. Now, it's not solely because of her relationship with us. She's worked really hard for years. Um, but she's opened up a new store that is in Burnaby, which is now kind of closer even for us to do delivery than her other series. So she has two stores now. It's a mix of the knowledge she already has because she's been running this business for several years and also the support that we're giving her in form of what people want, what consumers are asking for, where consumers are hoping they can actually access some of the stores or some of the products in the stores. Um, and we can see the development. We can see the growth. We can see how operations are nicer. In the newer store, she, everything is almost automated compared to the old store where everything was paper and pen. Wow, that's a great story. And, uh, you know, exactly what we want to see as communities come together and as we uh, actually access the technologies that can help us grow our business and really understand our businesses better. One of your hallmarks, Debbie, is sustainability. What is the sustainable story of AfroHub? Oh, sustainability is the core value of AfroHub. Um, when we talk about sustainability, all we're really saying is how can you go beyond just making profit to actually being a business that helps your community or a business that has a say in the community, a business that is, has a positive relationship with its suppliers, that has a positive relationship with its consumers, have a positive relationship with the environment with the government and pretty much every of your stakeholders. Um, I know sometimes when we think about sustainability, all we're thinking about is, oh, your, how I, what, what is your environmental impact? But it goes beyond your environmental impact. It goes beyond your carbon footprint to all the different stakeholders and the positive relationship that you have with them. And because AfroHub's goal is to actually grow the Black community, um, our focus is all on sustainability. How are we helping the consumers? How are we helping our double-sided consumers? How are we helping the businesses? How are we creating that space of growth, that space of development, that space where there's a feel of, oh, we are all adding value to each other. And so that's the core of our entire operation. So um, give me an example. How do you help build the sustainability of the environment and the community? What are just some examples of what you're doing. Okay, so in terms of building the community with sustainability, the fact that we're helping the businesses and bringing the money back to our community, the fact that we're growing their consumers, the fact that we're helping their services or their, yeah, helping the services that they provide, that is our level of sustainability with the community. Um, we also have a lot of events that we plan. Some, some of them are still in the works in terms of, you know, um, financial literacy, information on taxes free of charge that people can be a part of, businesses can be a part of, and even individuals can be a part of marketing conversations and how to market your brand, how to grow your business. All of those things also fall into our initiatives that are helping the community. Um, from the environmental perspective, because we do not produce, make our own products, 
our sustainability from the environmental perspective is not our core angle. Um, all we do is ensure that our packaging is as minimal as possible. Um, we stick more to environmentally friendly materials, so we do not use your regular plastic bags, except that's what the store has provided. We do not have an extra air, an extra line of that to which help, which um, endangers the society or the environment itself. So in terms of sustainability from the environmental perspective, we are doing um, all we can do, seeing as we are just a third party, we are not exactly creating our own product. If we were, then it would be a totally different conversation. Yeah. And tell me about your, your new book, which is all about managing sustainable organizations. I have just written out the layout. <laughs> That's the truth. That's the truth. I started writing the layout in summer last year, and it's annoying because I have all the pieces together. I already have all the pieces. All I really need to do is to sit down and mix them all together and make sure everything flows into one another. Um, a lot of the things that will be in the book are from my PhD thesis, which is on corporate social responsibility and how businesses can put it more into the entire strategy rather than being an offshoot or a philanthropic activity that they do. So I already have all the materials that I need for the book. It's just to actually sit down and piece it all together. The goal was to finish it up last year. And then I started AfroHub and <laughs> AfroHub, you know, became, <laughs> became my first baby before the book. Um, so yes, so far, what do I have? I have all the materials um, just to piece it all together. But the book itself is going to be an easy step-by-step -step guide, a practical guide where people that if you're an entrepreneur, you started a business and you're thinking, I want to go beyond just making money. I want to actually have an impact. I want my business to have an impact in the society. I want to have my business having an impact with the different stakeholders. What do I need to do? So the book is going to be a step-by-step -step guide. This is the first thing you need to do. You need to talk about your strategy. You need to change around your core values. You need to change around um, the culture within the organization. You need to identify how your idea of impact aligns back to what you want to achieve as a, as a business. So it takes you through the entire process of identifying what sustainability is for your business, um, how to also create the change, the sustainability change within your business to ensure that it flows all the way. And most importantly, the business perspective to sustainability, which is I want you to make money. I want your business, of course, to make money. That is why you're a business. But at the same time, I want your making money methods to actually be something that is impactful, something that is long-term, something that helps the society and the other stakeholders that you're involved with. Right. And tell me a little bit about Volunteer NG. I presume the NG in the name means Nigeria. So is that something you're Absolutely. still involved with on, a, on an ongoing basis? Yes, I am. Um, I don't run it anymore, thankfully, because that would have meant I, I am doing way more than I can. Um, so we've grown into a space where I am just on the board of directors. And so we have people that run it and I just listen and put my advice here and there. But Volunteer NG started in, I started Volunteer NG in 2013. Um, it came up from a place of depression. I had just moved back to Nigeria. Um, I had this idea of how my life was going to be. And then, you know, when you finish from school, you think, wow, I'm going to get an amazing job. I'm going to do this. And then the real reality of life kicks in. And I was at a place of, I don't know what I'm doing with myself. And um, after a couple of conversations, I keep asking myself, and that's the same thing I do it. I did when I started after hobbies. 
what do I really want to do in life? What exactly is my focus? What am I happy? What are the things I do that I'm really happy doing? Um, sometimes people would say you can be happy from anything, but for me, my happiness is quite selective. I don't know if that's a blessing or a curse. So from <laughs> a volunteer of, engine, a bit of both, I'm a bit sure. of both, right? <laughs> so for volunteer engine, was me going through what are the things I'm happy doing, and because I had worked with kids a lot. I had realized that, oh, working with kids actually made me feel happy. I didn't think about me at that point. I was just thinking more about the impact and how I'm relating with them and how I'm hopefully helping them shape their life. And so Volunteer Energy started from a place of um, just having that conversation. So we, we started with a party. So we go to orphanage homes, um, have like some more of like a party and event for them and have that conversation that made me made everyone feel, oh, wow, I'm actually impacting someone. And then the next thing I thought about is, okay, so these kids, we've come here, we've brought so many resources for them, but they actually need mentors that can guide them through life. And so I started reaching out to my personal contact. Hey, would you like to mentor a child? Would you like to mentor a child? So Volunteer NG in the Canadian or maybe the U.S. setting is pretty much like big, big, I think it's called Big Brother, Big, big, big Brother and Sisters. I right. think that's what it's called. Yeah, so it's pretty much the same thing where we mentor kids all through their years, so they grow up to a certain stage. But now the other question that came up was, okay, we're mentoring these kids. Not all of them have access to education because, unfortunately, elementary school and even up to high school is not free in Nigeria. And so these children are off school, they're on the street. So what kind of mentorship are you really giving them? And so we created what we call the Parent-A-Child Program, which was making sure that the kids that were mentoring are also in school. So we'll pay their school fees at the same time we're mentoring them. And at the moment, I know we have about 30 kids that are going through the program. This year, actually, we added a few good number of children. So I'm going to believe we're up to 40 now. Um, we have about 40 children that are in the program. I don't run it again. I am just, like I said earlier, just on the board, but I'm still a part of most of the operations. We've grown to a place where there's a lot of um, able people that are actually running the entire operations. Well, it must be great for you to know that this is this organization is still going without your direct leadership. But it must be also very gratifying to still be involved with it and still being make, making a difference back in your home country. Absolutely. Um, the good thing about Nigerians is we are the most grateful people. And so, you know, sometimes someone will call me randomly and say, oh, I was a child that, that was for my child is in your program. Thank you so much. And they do this long 30 minutes prayer for you and i'm just like amen thank you thank you thank you thank you um it's, it's amazing for me as a person just because i know that hey i am being a part of some people's lives but most importantly i think the major part for me is the fact that i also got a lot of people involved so everyone that is part of the process is also doing something that is great and they feel good as well they feel amazing about the fact that they are actually a part of someone's success story well, early on at the beginning of the show, you were talking about the importance of for entrepreneurs to create their own strong support system. Tell me about the support system you've created for yourself and uh, and and your babies, Afro Hub and Volunteer NG. Okay, so for Afro Hub, I created the best support system, and the reason why I say it's the best is because it came from a place of me knowing that I can't do everything by myself. And so before I started Afro Hub. I had kept up a message on Instagram, funny enough. Hey guys, so I'm thinking about this idea, XYZ, XYZ. Um, is anyone, does it make sense to anybody? And so a lot of people had reached out to me. And at the end of every conversation, or at the end of the entire period, 
I had 10, we're nine, well, nine extra people that co-founded AfroHub. So it's not normal for you to have 10 co-founders. But for AfroHub, I have 10 co-founders. Um, what that means is I have nine other people to brainstorm with. Now we've grown, we have interns, we want to have other people working with us. But at the beginning, it was I had nine other people that I could brainstorm with. I had nine other people that could tell me, Debbie, no, I think you are overdoing it. Or Debbie, ooh, that's an amazing idea. Um, so that's been my biggest support in terms of AfroHub. I met people, one of my co-founders, he's someone I had never met till after we started AfroHub. And he's such a smart person. He makes so smart decisions that I'm thinking, oh my God, I have no idea where AfroHub would be without you right now. That's just one out of the other nine people. So it's everyone bringing in different knowledge, different ideas. That's one support system I have for AfroHub. Um, like I said earlier, my parents have also been a key supporter of my entrepreneurial business, um, business is a journey actually. And my dad specifically, because he's been in the business world way longer, um, he's someone that is always asking me questions. He's always trying, even when I don't ask for advice, he's ready, he's ready to give me <laughs> advice and tell me, tell me what to do and what not to do. And sometimes I'm like, dad, it is just wait, hold on, hold on, just hold on. Um, so he's, he's been a very strong support system. I also, right now, I am on the, we are in the UBC Entrepreneurship Program. It's called the Core Ventures. And um, we have, we get mentors from that particular event and program, accelerator program. And so we have these conversations here and there, you know, mentors reaching out to you and you're speaking to them by 7 p.m. on a working day. And you're having these long hours where you're trying to fine tune what your idea looks like, fine tune what your business operation looks like. That is also a support system that has been really helpful for me. So I think for me, it's been different types of support system in the form of co-founders, in the form of team members, like we volunteer and you have a lot of good team members, in the form of team members, in some form of family, in the form of accelerator programs, or people I just reach out to on LinkedIn that I absolutely love their business ideas. So it's, it's a wide range of support system for me. I think that's great. Um, a long time ago, Hillary Clinton said that it, you know, it takes a village uh, to raise a child. And I think it takes a Absolutely. village or a community to raise, uh, you know, a business, to raise an entrepreneurial venture. Uh, what would you say to the sort of entrepreneur who's always sort of been on their own and is a little bit uh, shy of asking for help? Hmm. Being on your own is a good thing in the sense that, you know, you run faster with ideas. However, there's the advantage, like I said earlier, that comes from brainstorming with other people or from listening to other people. I would not tell anyone to just get partners or get co-founders, etc. Um, again, I want you to do what works best for you. But like everything in life, partnerships make things better. Um, sometimes it might be partnership in your personal life, it might be partnership in your business. Partnerships just mean that more than one head is thinking about something and more than one brain has their capabilities to get the work done. So there's no one size fits all. I think it comes from a place of why do you not like working with other people on your startup? Is it a trust issue? If you're scared that they're going to steal your ideas, get everyone to sign an NDA. I got everyone to sign an NDA for AfroHub. Um, is it that you're scared that your relationship might, they're not, maybe you, you're not so much of a people's person and you're worried about how that relationship is going to work? Well, you have to put yourself out there. I used to be an introvert and I forced myself and quit myself to become an extrovert. 
So you have to put yourself out there and see and try it. It might be difficult, but it would work at some point. So it all depends on the why. Why do you think you're better off all by yourself? Why do you think it's not such a great idea to reach out to people or to have a team of people that are working with you? There's no business that doesn't have a team of people there. So all the successful businesses, it's either it's one person that started it, but it got to a point where a lot of other people had to be a part of the operation. So you need to think about that from your business perspective too. The better, the more people you have, the more you are actually creating a system that works. If it's a one-man business, what's going to happen is the day you're sick or the day you can't work, not, no work is done. I've had days I don't do anything on Afrohub, but because I have other people that are strong enough to get the work done, the business is flowing as usual. I traveled for Christmas for a couple of weeks, yet we're still delivering, we're still having orders, we're still making a lot of changes. So there's so many advantages to working with other people. Ask yourself why you don't feel so great working with others and nip it at the board. Start with the why. That's how you can create a solution to this problem. So much wisdom in what you just said. My favorite sentence of yours was five words. I used to be an introvert. I think that's so powerful because introverts almost never start sentences with I. <laughs> so it shows, it shows that it's true. You've made the leap. And, 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 and I think to have that recognition that I was an introvert, but that wasn't always serving me well. So I changed. Mm -hmm. I think there's incredible power in that statement. So I'm going to write that down and tweet it out and I'll give you full credit. <laughs> but I, I, I love that. Part. <laughs> Debbie, how would you go about integrating shared values into an existing business? I'm sure there's a lot of entrepreneurs that share your sense of social responsibility, the sense of community, but maybe didn't start off with those values baked into their firms, what can they do to sort of become a little bit more value-driven? The first thing you want to do is redefine really what aspect of value you want. So I know you, when you say shared value, you think, okay, I want to have more impact in the society, I want to have more impact in the community, or I want to have more impact in the environment but be very clear on what exactly that means to you. So if I'll use a random example, let's say AfroHub did not start with a focus on community. And so we said at some point, that, oh, hey, we want to be more involved in the community. We want to actually grow the community. Now, the next thing would be, what are your core values as an organization? Um, when it comes to shared value or a focus on sustainability, it comes from within your organization. And then the core of your organization is your core values. So what are your core values? As an entrepreneur, I want to believe that you started off your business with listing out core values that guide every decision and action that you make. So for us, community is one of our core values. So we, if, you haven't had, if you don't have that yet, you add it into your core values and then you start communicating it to every single member of your organization. So you are creating the culture that focuses on core values. It's something that comes from within and is not seen outside till it's embedded within the organization. So communicate it as much as possible to your, to your employees, to your business partners, to every other person that are focuses on community and not just any form of community. Maybe we want to be more in line with educating the community or we want to ensure that our products are up to the best standards, that we're not trying to um, take away from our suppliers or take away from our consumers or we're not trying to harm our community. Make sure it's something that is communicated every single time in all your words and in all your messaging. And then make sure it's part of your strategy. So if your strategy is to look at sustainability from an environmental perspective, how are you sourcing your products? 
How are you sourcing the materials that you're using? Are you looking at environmental impact in that? Oh yes, okay, that's good. How are you producing the materials? Or how are you producing your goods and your services? Are you looking at sustainability? Are you reducing your waste? Are you reducing your carbon emission? Yes, you are. Oh, that's great. How are you getting these products to your consumers? Uh, are you looking at sustainability? Are you still doing carbon emissions? Are you increasing your carbon emissions? Are you affecting the environment? Look into that. Make sure that your entire process from the beginning all the way to the end is aligned with the value of sustainability that you're aiming for. So the goal, the first thing I would say again is what aspect of shared value are you looking at? Um, sometimes we, we mistake it all and think we need to do every single thing. Sometimes you don't. Just pick a particular area. So I'll use Google, for example. Google focuses a lot on employees, at least to an extent, in terms of making sure that the employees feel like they're part of an organization. And so what they would do is the entire process of hiring, even when they go into campuses, of course now things have changed, when they go into campuses to recruit, when they go through the entire interview process, when you come into the organization, your workstation, the fact that you can nap in some of their offices, have napping rooms, which I love, by the way. <laughs> uh, you know, they have some spas, they have all of these things. That is some level of sustainability because they are creating a culture where the employees feel valued enough to actually be productive within the organization. So define what sustainability is for you as an entrepreneur, and based on that, revamp your entire structure, your entire system to align with that angle of sustainability. Beautiful. I think you should definitely write a book on that. <laughs> and, and I will. I will. Okay. Okay. Debbie, what's next for you and your many initiatives? Are there, is there still some work you want to do, or is it a matter of just growing what you've got? Um, for now, I am focusing more on AfroHub and getting us to our next phase, which for us is more consumers coming in, more sales, more revenue, going into other cities as well, and at the same time having that positive impact on the community. Um, that's AfroHub related. At some point, I really want to go into some level of governance and politics in my immediate society. Um, I'm still trying to decide what that would look like. For now, I'm just volunteering, et cetera, just because I really don't have so much time. Um, but yeah, that, that's pretty much what it is for me now. Growing AfroHub, being more active in my community in terms of governance and seeing how things go from there. You know, one of the reasons that I've been so interested in uh, entrepreneurs for my entire career is that I find it hard to identify an entrepreneur who doesn't make their community better just by, as you said, trying to find a way to create value for somebody, makes mm -hmm. it so much better. But what I love about it is that an entrepreneurs are change makers. And once they know how to make change, then suddenly they can make more and more change and scale that change and so many of them realize that there's so many ways they can, uh, you know, help the community as well as themselves, mm -hmm. that there is, that the triple bottom line really is real. So I think you're a terrific example of that. And I hope you continue to make waves and make change <laughs> and bring that sense of community and sustainability to everything you do. For my Absolutely. final question for now, for, 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 Drum for you. Roll. <laughs> We also see if you have one more bit of gas in the tank for one actionable piece of advice that entrepreneurs could learn from you and your experience that they could take away and implement in their business this week. This week? 
okay, next week, maybe, but <laughs> something actionable, okay. an action item they can learn from. Okay, one actionable item is um, determine one problem your society has and start creating ways to solve that problem. So just one problem. What is that one problem my society has? Um, whatever that problem is, think about how it aligns with your vision and your idea of your business and start working towards creating either a product or service or merging around, shipping around your own products and services to fit the solution that will maybe create a solution, or I said that's right, into the problem itself. So think value. I think that that's where I'm always ending with and starting with. Think value, think value for the community, think value for the society, think value for people, because people will always remember businesses that created an impact. When I remember a business that I love so much, it's because, ooh, not just their product was great, but because of how it made me feel, because of how I see them being active in the society, because I can see that they are creating some level of value. So actionable item, think one problem, think a solution that brings value to you and brings value to the business and to the society as well. Big thinking. I love it. Debbie Motolewa, thank you so much. And best of luck to you at AfroHub Market. And we'll look forward to seeing you expand right across this big, wide country. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity to be on Startup Canada. This is amazing. And I look forward to doing more with Startup Canada. You betcha. Thank you, too, for joining us on the Startup Canada podcast, and thank you for choosing to challenge the status quo to help build a more gender-balanced world and release the full potential of women entrepreneurs. For more information on Startup Canada's Startup Women programming or to get involved, please visit startupcan.ca slash women. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us this week in the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly show dedicated to unlocking the potential of every entrepreneur. Stay tuned another minute to hear the latest startup community news and the upcoming events lineup, including our hashtag Startup Chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 noon Eastern time. I sometimes show up there too. Until next week, I'm your Startup Canada podcast host, Rick Spence.